Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show, keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. And good morning, everyone. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. If you want to stay informed, you want to get some raw conservative takes that isn't worried about hurting anyone's feelings, well, you've come to the right place. If you're looking for political talking points and people to just tell you whatever you want to hear, well, just go talk to your local politician. You can find plenty of that there because that's not what we do on this show. I try to give you the political news of the day from a constitutional and conservative viewpoint, free from any kind of party or political influence outside of just my conservative views. Remember, you can catch the show Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. on the radio on WZXI. Everywhere else at 1 p.m., just visit theandrewshow.com. Once again, theandrewshow.com to see when and where to listen. You can also reach out to me and The Andrew Cooperwriter Show by emailing info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that is info at theandrewshow.com. Over the past two days, I've really dug into the numbers and lined out some pretty clear arguments about what happened on Tuesday to paint a picture so people can understand and to combat a, a lot of uh, thoughts and processes behind it. And one of the reasons I've lined out these clear arguments and I felt it was important to do so, and it had been important uh, to point out what the Cameron campaign had been doing wrong like for the last several months like I had been, was in order to combat the establishment hacks, who I knew inevitably, uh, one, they, of course, would remain quiet during the campaign. They would never publicly or even necessarily privately speak out about what the campaign is doing wrong. They may be behind closed doors amongst their friends quietly somewhere, but they often won't speak up to the people they're in power because, of course, uh, in the establishment political system, Democrat or Republican, they prize shutting up and doing as you're told without ever voicing an opinion different than what the experts tell you to do uh, above all else. They, they, they like it more than intelligence. They like it more than conviction. They like it more than the only thing they like more than that is if you can bring a lot of money on board. If you can do that, they'll, they'll like you a lot more, too. So I felt a need to go ahead and, and clear out those arguments very early on. So that way, uh, you had a clear image and everyone could have a clear picture of what happened because lo and behold, the establishment hacks have now gotten their chance to weigh in on the Cameron loss and why Cameron loss. And guess what? Surprise, surprise, it has nothing to do with them. It has nothing to do with their campaign strategy, candidate quality. It's got nothing to do with their all-powerful uh, uh, leader, McConnell. It's got nothing to do with bad leadership in the Republican Party at the national level, of course, not putting any resources, funds, or attention into this race or uh, bad leadership because a horrible ground could coordination going on. Uh, you know, for an example, in the Cameron campaign, I believe all their door knockers were volunteers coordinated by the Republican Party of Kentucky. As far as I know, and I've talked to a few people that live in populated areas like Louisville, like Lexington, where you'd want to get this together. The Cameron campaign during the general didn't even do a door-to-door -door push. They didn't even pay for door-to-door -door knockers. What's weird is the Cameron campaign did that during the primary, you know, before uh, we had Terry Carmack and, and those McConnellites jumping on board outwardly. We saw door knocking going on, but into the general, guess what? We didn't see. 
didn't see any door knocking. But anyways, according, though, to these establishment hacks, it's, well, it's the conservatives. It's the social conservatives and Trump. That's who to blame because apparently they think Cameron just ran the perfect campaign. And it has to have been the perfect campaign for Cameron to have ran because, well, his campaign was run by these same establishment hacks. I mean, you know, never mind signs not getting up till three weeks beforehand. Never mind uh, terrible ground coordination and doing no good door knocking campaign. Never mind uh, uh, lackluster, if any, get out the vote efforts to, in order to reach people who weren't already getting out and voting for you. Not to mention the flip flopping on abortion, causing individuals to lose uh, a strong push. Not to mention, you know, not bringing in Trump really uh, until about a week or so out when you realized that all hope was lost. I mean, not to mention, uh, you know, bringing on individuals like Terry Carmack and others that are from the McConnell world that would cause then uh, your ground people, the people that coordinate a lot on the ground, especially in Northern Kentucky too, an area where he did pretty bad at, uh, to push them away. And you can not like that. They got pushed away by the fact that McConnell was a part of the campaign, but um, well, it doesn't really matter what you think. All that matters is the fact that they were pushed away and the net result uh, was that. Uh, you know, never mind any of that. We're, we're not going to talk about that. Instead, well, it must be, of course, social conservatives and Trump. I mean, you literally, they, they ran such a bad campaign, such a bad campaign that there is a conspiracy theory. Maybe you've seen it online. Maybe you've heard it from your Republican friends. But there's a conspiracy theory going around held by many Republicans, and I myself have my suspicions, that they purposely threw the election, that they purposely threw it. But yeah, that's right. It's the right, it's, it's Republican conservatives' fault for having principles and conservatives' beliefs uh, that's tearing everything apart. That's that's what the problem is. And echoing this and, and being the bearer of this establishment hackery talking point of you and me being the problem is Scott Jennings. And it's an opinion piece in a career journal that Scott Jennings put out. Now, for those of you who are unaware of who Scott Jennings is, if you'll remember to Cameron's uh, concession speech on election night, he thanked two people. Funny of which, I don't think either of them held the title campaign manager. I think Gus was his campaign manager, but he thanked two people. His brother, Terry Carmack, as he listed it, you know, McConnell's chief of staff, and Scott Jennings. Well, Scott Jennings helped run that campaign. In fact, I was told Scott Jennings was lining out the cabinet positions too as well going forward. And so Scott Jennings writes this opinion piece, um, where he's talking about all the things that uh, went wrong for Cameron, and it's got nothing to do with Scott, of course. Um, Scott is also a political consultant. He run, he owns a, a PR company or, uh, you know, candidate consulting company called Run Switch. Um, he's also a CNN contributor. He's uh, a senior CNN contributor. So he's pulled on to CNN all the time as a conservative uh, viewpoint, conservative commentator. Now, let me explain why that means immediately you should discount anything Scott Jennings has to say. Because, well, if CNN is bringing you on as a conservative contributor, as a conservative talking point, uh, well, that means that they have no reason to actually respect what you say. They don't actually think you fight back. They don't think you have a persuasive message. 
Both right and left media do this and they attempt to appear bipartisan in some shows. They'll bring in people from the other side to comment. But the people that they bring in, it's their job to be a spineless hack that professionally only offers half arguments uh, in order to combat the talking points of the other side. So in CNN's case, they're bringing in Scott Jennings to be as spineless as he possibly can be while still sounding like a conservative to not really challenge the liberal talking points. Basically, he's he's there to play the part of a dumb conservative that half the time, if he's not uh, a falling before a liberal argument without much to say, he's over there trashing people with a Republican uh, signature next to his name. I mean, Scott Jennings continued appearance on CNN. Uh, part of the reason why they keep him going on there is because he just doesn't stop trashing Trump. I mean, he's not going to sit there outright and say, Trump's awful. I hate him. He's horrible. He's an insurrectionist. But he on a regular basis sits there on CNN talking about how awful Trump is for everyone, how awful abortion is uh, as a point for the Republicans. Republicans need to get away with from it. Basically, parrots the same talking points that Democrats want to say. Republicans lose because they're extreme on abortion. So here comes Scott Jennings into CNN to go ahead and parrot that. Republicans lose because of Trump. Well, here comes Scott Jennings in to parrot that. That's what CNN brings him in for. Despite the fact that the only time the Republicans have enjoyed success in hard races goes back to 2016 with Trump and then the and in, in, in recent time, 2016 with Trump. Otherwise, they've done nothing but lose. Well, y'all, coming up, we're going to go over the Scott Jennings opinion piece in the Courier-Journal and just how silly it is. We'll have that after this short break. You're listening to The Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky news and politics from a constitutional and conservative perspective. Now, before the break, I was talking about Scott Jennings' lackluster conservative uh, whose professional professional job is to uh, go ahead and take it from the liberals on CNN. Uh, and it's talking about his opinion piece he wrote in the Courier Journal. So it, it really doesn't come as much shock to anybody that this guy, Scott Jennings, former special assistant to Bush, you know, probably a part of the WMD lie. But anyways, um, it comes as no shock that this opinion piece from the Courier Journal wrote by Jennings over why Cameron lost. Uh, well, campaign strategy wouldn't be spoken about or blamed in and of itself. Uh, he wouldn't do that because, of course, it was him and Terry running campaign strategy. And that would mean he'd have to admit that he has no idea what he's doing anymore, something uh, he can't do because, of course, he makes a living off of, well, he does win a lot of races, races that, well, if you, it, the, the way they run those races is you got to have enough money and he doesn't win hard races. He was running OJ Alika's campaign against me as state treasurer. Alika had three times the amount of money I did. I beat Alika by 11 points. Alika came in third. I came in second. Alika didn't even win a county. Meanwhile, I was out here winning counties with no consultant and a third of the money because, of course, Scott Jennings can't win hard races. What he can do is dump a whole lot of money into a campaign. That's the only way he knows how to win because he doesn't know how to deliver a message that is inspiring and pushes the people up out of their seats. That's why, of course, in this article, on top of blaming uh, social conservatives and Trump, he, of course, also blamed the fact that, well, Cameron didn't have as much money as Bashir, which he didn't. Cameron had maybe five, six, seven million total uh, to Bashir, probably had about 
maybe 15 million, 20 million to spend on the campaign, which it sounds like a big difference, but all that money means in a campaign is it gives you the ability to put out more messages. If you put out less messages, but they're higher quality and you're able to get them out there, well, then in that case, you don't need as much money and you can pull it off. But when you don't know what a high quality message is, because you yourself are not an on the ground social conservative, you're just somebody who exists with an R next to their name. Well, you need a lot of money because you have to get out all these different messages because you have no clue what will work or what won't. You don't have a gut when it comes to it. Your gut has long since left you because you've long since actually left the general belief system of those who vote Republican. So of course, going now to Scott Jennings article, he attacks the social conservatives by saying Bashir bet big on abortion and won. Quoting from the article here, Bashir and the Democrats poured millions into crucifying Cameron for defending the state's abortion law that lacked exceptions for rape and incest. Not only does this serve as a powerful motivator for Democratic turnout, but also soured moderate suburban voters that Cameron was hoping to recover for the Republican Party. Bashir put an anvil on Cameron's head when he launched the abortion attack around Labor Day and Cameron was never able to remove it. Now, does Scott go on to say perhaps he and other Republicans need to learn how to go on the offensive for the abortion issue? Nope. A supposed campaign and messaging expert doesn't have a single talking point about how to message better on abortion. Why? Because he doesn't want to measure, me message better on abortion. He wants to drop it. That's what you're hearing now from these uh, uh, non-social conservative establishment hacks. Let's just abandon the abortion issue. Why? Because they never actually believed in it. It was always an issue that they used to try to convince you to continue to vote for horrible politicians. You know, back in, uh, I think it's 2019, uh, Matt Jones, uh, host of KSR, uh, he was considering a Senate race. And in considering that Senate race, he traveled around the state. And while he was traveling around the state, he wrote a book called Mitch Please. And in it, he makes very clear, in Kentucky, you cannot attack guns and babies. And the Democrat Party going after guns and babies is what has caused nationally, is what has caused them to lose so much ground in Kentucky. This is a clear point that he makes. So this is 2019. Democrats are sitting there saying, look, you know, guns and babies is a big problem for us. But Democrats, they didn't abandon their position. No, they continued to hammer on it and figure out how to message on it. And now, lo and behold, they are beating down spineless Republicans over the abortion issue because these spineless Republicans can't stand up and say, where do you draw the line? Cameron finally said it, but it wasn't until the last debate. Where do you draw the line? Justify your position, Democrats. You're over here talking about less than 1% of abortions are due to rape and incest. Tell me, where are you on the other 99%? Because I don't see it anywhere. You believe in abortion with no restrictions. You vetoed everything. Cameron finally started saying that in the last debate, but never did that make it into an ad. Never did such a clear and concise pro-life message make it into an ad to attack Bashir. Certainly not from the Cameron campaign. If that got hung around you, Scott Jennings, and the campaign you're a part of, if that got hung around your neck and dragged you down, why didn't you figure out how to cut the cord on that anvil? 
get it out from under your neck by throwing it back at Bashir. But of course, that would require you to have actual convictions. Instead, you believe in a philosophy that when a message gets hard, you abandon it. Well, I tell you this much, my pro-life beliefs don't come from abandoning them. I will not abandon them. I refuse to support people or be in a party or in a country where we celebrate the death and destruction of babies. And if you don't believe in murdering babies, you can't win elections. I don't want to be a part of a party that circulates that kind of talking points. Who the heck are you people? You should be ashamed of yourselves. You call yourselves pro-life, but then the minute it gets harder, you got to stand up for your beliefs. You abandon them. You never were pro-life and you never believed in them. If your first thought when you see a loss is, well, I guess we need to ease up on our murder of babies stance. You clearly don't see them as babies. Why don't you change your registration to Democrat now and get it over with if you don't value life? I mean, honestly, and I, I get it. You know, people sit there and say, well, big tent party and everything else. But at the end of the day, either you believe a baby is a life or you don't. And I have articulated on this program a many, many a times how the rape and incest exemptions send a clear message that you don't value life. Because if a baby is a minute old, it was born a one minute ago, then you find out it was conceived due to rape or incest. Are you okay with murdering it? Of course not. What about one minute before it was born? I hope you say no. And so the minute you've said no, a minute before it's born, I feel uncomfortable killing a baby no matter how it was conceived then please tell me where you draw the line and why. And tell me how that drawing of the line there values human life. And please tell me why you think a baby conceived without rape or incest somehow has more value than a baby conceived in a different way. What kind of person are you to believe that? What kind of person are you to look at? Would you look at two 20-year-olds, one of them conceived through rape or incest and say, well, the one not that was, that was conceived through regular ways, that one is worth more as a human being than you? Of course not. But you say the same thing to them in the womb. What kind of person does that? A psychopath does that. A person who doesn't value life does that. Or people who have never been really challenged on their beliefs. And they haven't been challenged because conservatives and Republicans have never felt uh, it important to them to step up to the plate and do it. But it's not just candidates that should be stepping up and learning how to message on abortion, not abandoning the issue. Also, we need to be seeing these pro-life groups like Kentucky Right to Life step up their game. You host all these dinners, you pull in thousands of dollars in donations, you've got full-time people, offices, lawyers, all these things, yet you don't spend a dime in the culture war. You turn to candidates that all you offer them is a little seal to say pro-life endorsed and ask them to fight on the battlefield while they're trying to what win hearts and minds at the same time of election. They are not a perfect messaging vehicle. You don't want them to abandon their pro-life stances, but at the same time, it would help a little bit pro-life groups if you would step up and start to fight in the culture wars the same way the left does. I know you're not getting the taxpayer funds like Planned Parenthood and others are that helps them fund that belief, but come on. Let's see you start to step up and fight and push. You know, all these uh, 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 pro-life thing. Since Roe v. Wade was overturned, when's the last time you saw a pro-life rally? I haven't seen one in years. Liberals holding rallies left and right, pushing for abortion. 
We hear him talking about it constantly, but yet we see nothing from the pro-life crowd. And the other thing Scott brings up is Trump. He says that Cameron lost because of Trump. Adams won because he was the least Trumpy. He attacked Trump. He didn't like Trump. So that's why he won. Well, first off, uh, yeah, it makes sense that somebody who attacks Trump while running against a Democrat and a general would pick up both Republican and Democrat votes. That makes sense. Um, but let me be very clear. Trump was not why Cameron failed. If anything, the only reason why Cameron had a chance came within spitting distance was because of Trump. And Scott Jennings blaming Trump for the fact that a Cameron loss is like the arsonist blaming a firefighter because the house burnt down. You had managed a campaign horribly. You and Terry and others had managed the campaign horribly for months on end, you were losing, and now you finally decided, oh, I guess we'll try Trump because nothing else has worked. As I said priorly, Amy Bashir started running pro-Trump ads before the Cameron campaign did. So don't come to me with blaming Trump when you didn't even bring him in until the last three weeks. And then the, when you once you brought in Trump, finally started pushing him a bit, is when Cameron actually started gaining ground. He was 13 points down in a poll uh, uh, you know, a month before the election, then you bring in Trump and he was neck and neck. He was able to close that gap because of Trump, by, by embracing Trump, people coming home in Trump. We saw that in the polls. Of my final thoughts on this here, we're coming up on the break. So I have my final thoughts on this in just a few minutes. You're listening to the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics and news from a constitutional and conservative perspective. We'll see you guys back here. And you are back with the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics and news from a constitutional and conservative perspective. As a reminder, if you want to reach out to the show, go ahead and email info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. So before the break, I was going over Scott Jennings' opinion article uh, blaming Trump. Um, well, first he was blaming abortion and us social conservatives for not being for the murder of babies. And now he wants to blame Trump. Um, and so here's what Scott, uh, uh, Scott proclaims here. Okay. Scott Jennings, here's his quote from the article here. And, and in October, after falling far behind, Cameron used Trump's endorsement again to nationalize the race in real and Bashir, who had built up a large lead. But for as unpopular as President Joe Biden is in Kentucky, Trump has his detractors too. There are moderate college-educated Republicans and independents in key counties like Louisville, Lexington, and Cincinnati metro areas for whom Trump is a real deal breaker. That's not true. I mean, yeah, there are people, don't get me wrong, in, in Louisville and Lexington. Cincinnati metro area, there he's talking about in Kenton County and, and Campbell counties that normally are red, go blue. They're, they're not an issue there. They're not an issue at all there. I mean, that kind of statement is just crazy. Trump got 58% of the vote in Kenton and Campbell County. You just made that up. I mean, Trump Trump did not necessarily underperform there. He's just saying things now. You want to talk about Louisville and Lexington where that's a deal breaker for people? Okay. But I ask you there, Mr. Jennings, why did Trump overperform Cameron by percentage in Lexington and Louisville? 
Cameron got 35%. Trump got 38.5% in Lexington and Fayette County. Why did that happen then? If Trump's such a real deal breaker, you didn't even do better than Trump in Fayette County. It's because you didn't turn people out, Scott. It's because you ran a bad campaign. You and Terry ran a bad campaign. You didn't turn people out because you decided to run a campaign where you didn't say anything of any substance. So nobody came out and voted for you. You ran a cruddy campaign. There's actual conspiracy theories that you did it on purpose. It was so bad. And you want to blame Trump and abortion. Now, why am I being so rough on Scott? There is a specific reason. And that is because the establishment party hacks hold this guy in high, high regards. He has many, many accolades, titles, special attention paid to him. So he must be important, right? But the trouble is, is when we as conservatives add credence and respect people like Scott Jennings, instead of looking at their track records, because they think, well, he wins races. He doesn't win hard races. He doesn't win hard ones. Andrew Cooper with a third of the money can beat Scott Jennings and his campaign team like a redheaded stepchild. So clearly he doesn't know that much what he's doing. So the trouble is when we as conservatives respect people like Scott Jennings, we'll continue to be led down the wrong road. We'll continue to be, to be left at the wayside. We'll continue to lose because we're leaving behind conservative values and true conservative candidates. Cameron was the perfect candidate for someone like Scott Jennings. He wasn't, it was just kind of there. He's a nice guy, good candidate, said what he was told to say. And yet you lost because you don't know what you're doing. And if we continue to hold you in high regard, we will continue to lose. But the reason why people continue to listen to him is because, well, people like Scott, people like Terry, they have some control over the money. That seems natural because, of course, real conservatives of real principle won't get exactly the kind of amount of money that establishment dims or ours do. Why? Well, their policy beliefs don't profit anyone. We believe in smaller, less intrusive government that doesn't regulate your lives. And that means, of course, large corporations can't profit off of real conservatives in office, so they're not going to give them money. But these kinds of people, if we want to win races, they got to know exactly where they belong and, and where their opinions belong. And so I'll end on this. Scott blaming Trump and conservatives for Cameron's loss is ridiculous. He needs to look in a mirror. He ran a bad campaign. It wasn't Trump. And, and honestly, what do we expect? I mean, when you're the kind of conservative that Don Lemon lets come on and argue for conservative beliefs on CNN, you're not the kind of person we should be listening to about what conservatives should do. Do you think Don Lemon is actually going to have on somebody with the key to winning for Republicans on his station and continue to give him a platform so, so then suddenly Republicans start to win? Of course not. They're going to have on the person that says exactly what they need him to say to make sure Republicans continue to be controlled opposition. Don Lemons isn't interested in putting on a conservative who can actually win hard races. He wouldn't be interested in it. Understand this, the Republican voters, they no longer want status quo. The Republican voter that Trump turns out and others don't, guess what? They don't trust Republicans just as much as they don't trust Democrats. Now, they'll never trust a Democrat, but they could trust a Republican with the right message. 
But instead of looking at them as the key to victory and putting out a candidate they can coalesce around and support, instead you look at them and say, well, you are part of the problem. You're part of the problem. Well, how are the legislators responding to uh, Cameron's loss, Bashir's win? Well, we've got uh, Bashir here quoted an article saying, I think it's too far gone. This is about whether or not him and uh, Bashir will be able to work together, whether or not him and the legislature will be able to work together. This is what uh, Senator Thayer, majority leader in the Senate, had to say. He said, I think it's too far gone. There's no incentive or reason for us to work with him. He doesn't deserve an opportunity for reparation, especially after the campaign. He's taking credit for all our good work, including some things he vetoed. Thayer also, of course, went on to say that it's very possible that we see some bills with exemptions for rape and incest that get floated and possibly passed. Once again, pointing to what I was talking about when the Scott Jennings thing, that if we continue to hold these people in high regard and think their opinions matter and they somehow have the keys and tickets to winning, then we will lose anything resembling a conservative party. But regardless of that fair, perhaps this means we don't get the next half billion dollar boondoggle. Because remember, we gave $410 million to Ford. I have heard there's an electric vehicle manufacturing group looking at going into the Richmond area there. I heard, and we've heard a lot of speculation about it being a mega site. It's very possible it ends up being a mega site, and it's possible they end up doing it for electric vehicles. And, and you know, maybe people in the area want it, maybe they don't. But perhaps this means for once, the Republicans aren't going to rubber stamp half a billion dollars going to a private company. I think I'm mistaken. I think that's exactly what they're going to do. This is all just bluster and fuster. They're not really going to do anything. And what leads me to draw that conclusion is there and others had the chance to impeach Bashir and they chose not to. Instead, they chose to whine and complain about it and then do nothing. And in this case, what they'll do is whine and complain about it. Uh, Senate President Stivers, for his part, he said this. He said, I want to congratulate Governor Bashir on winning the governor's race. While we are disappointed in the outcome of the gubernatorial election, nothing substantial will change as it relates to the efforts of the Kentucky General Assembly. I am hopeful that in his second term, though, the governor will choose to work collaboratively with his co-equal branch of government. I'll return to that in a second. Co-equal. This General Assembly remains committed to a fiscally responsible budget and creating environment for economic growth and so on and so forth, talking about fighting, uh, uh, helping protect Kentucky and, and Bashir and Biden, crazy far-left agendas. Here's a problem with Stivers. He said in there a co-equal branch of government. Understand this. The legislature is not a co-equal branch of government. Uh, it is the most powerful branch of government in Kentucky. It's the people's branch. It's supposed to be. It's made up of the most amount of elected people, and it can impeach any single member of any single other branch other than themselves. On top of that, they have complete power of the purse strings. They can defund everyone else if they want to. So no, Stivers, you're wrong. The legislature is not a co-equal branch of government. It is the most powerful branch of government. And it's time you all start acting like it instead of taking half measures and letting these liberal people go ahead and run on your accomplishments, maybe do some less half measures and some more full measures. Well, y'all, coming up here in just a few minutes, uh, we'll be going over some interesting stories not to do necessarily with the election. We'll have that after this. You're listening to The Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics and news from a constitutional and conservative point of view.
And you are back with the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics and news from a constitutional and conservative perspective. Thank you all so, so much for joining us for this final segment here. As always, if you want to reach out to the show, you can reach out at info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, info at theandrewshow.com. Now, I've spent enough this week talking about the elections. I figured I'd end out uh, the week by talking about two other things, non-election necessarily, governors, constitutional officers, related things. First, uh, I saw a contract coming out of uh, our state government to do 4,500 telephone health screenings to study behavioral behavioral, sorry, health risks. So they're doing these over the phone surveys. Uh, this is to a, a company called ICF Macro Inc. out of Virginia. And the state is paying them $1.3 million, actually uh, $1,325,000,000 um, $1.3 million to do 4,500 telephone screenings. To give you guys an idea, that's about 300 bucks a telephone screening. Now, let me tell you, you know, in the world of politics, we do surveys and screenings all the time. And if we were doing a thousand live answer telephone surveys, um, what that should run you is about 10,000-ish, 11,000-ish bucks. So in the world of politics, doing 4,500 live answer surveys, would run you about $50,000. Even if we multiplied that amount by 10 times, that would only be half a million, $500,000. They are doing phone surveys at almost three times, 10 times the cost of normal phone surveys. I don't know how long the survey is. I don't know what they're asking. What I do know is this is over the phone. Even if they have to pay the person to do the survey, Pay them. The survey can't be longer than an hour. You pay the person doing the survey hundred bucks. The person taking the survey costs you 50 an hour. That's 150 bucks. Where's the other half at? That's if you're paying somebody to take this health survey. I don't know how long they are either. This is preposterous and ridiculous. And remember when I talked about during the Cameron campaign, these are the kinds of things that a Cameron governor should be able to zero in on and could have dealt with, but he never conceptualized this. Spending $1.3 million on telephone surveys, <laughs> over the phone telephone surveys for 4,500 people preposterous, ridiculous amount of spending. But instead of uh, uh, bringing that together and making that a campaign point, we didn't hear that. But I just I just want to tell you guys about that. It upset me when I was reading through some of the contracts and I saw that contract uh, absolutely out of control. 1.325, over $1.3 million for 4,500 telephone screenings. Absolutely ridiculous. There's another story I want to talk about coming out of Louisville. A bar in Louisville, Clifton area is looking like it's going to be put out of business possibly um, because the community took a vote to ban alcohol sales. So here's what happened. So uh, an area called the Clifton area, it's a, it's a small little kind of area, and it had only um, had a bar in it and it had a Dollar General in it that sold beer. So there's this one bar in it called Virtue Bar and Lounge, which was a hookah bar and uh, alcohol bar. And the community apparently took a big, big issue uh, with this bar. And uh, due to uh, trash and violence and noise, disturbance, parking, uh, all things destroying, in their opinion, their quiet community. 
And um, so they said, hey, we, we don't want this here anymore. ABC ain't dealing with it. Police ain't dealing with it. So we're going to go ahead. We're going to take a vote. They voted 60-40 to make that area dry to ban the sale of alcohol in this tiny little area in Louisville just to put that one bar uh, to push it somewhere else. So it had to move somewhere else. And there's some schools of thought here. One is, is that this is, you know, egregious. Uh, it's a community uh, coming in and saying, look, um, we're going to tell this private business owner what to do. Uh, it's his property, his private property. You know, the constitution protects our property rights, so on and so forth. But on the other side of things, the problem becomes, um, you know, the, the owners of those properties around the bar uh, also deserve to be able to live on their properties, exist on their properties and have uh, enjoy their time. And they're unable to do that if there's continued issues coming from a bar slash lounge slash things. And, and I looked at some videos and, and some goings ons at this uh, bar that they took issue with. This isn't like a cheers bar. <laughs> uh, it wasn't like a dive bar. This was uh, this was a nightlife bar. Like this was, they had DJs all the time, you know, people on the floor late at night. You, you know, this was like a loud and rowdy bar. And so the question becomes, this is a battle of what is, what, what do property rights come in? You can do what you want on your property, but what happens when it becomes particularly intrusive on the others? And what becomes an issue when you have, you know, no parking, so, so people in the community can't even get into their homes without worrying about it. You got trash in their yards. Uh, you got all these things. These are damages being called by the business. You know, I, I guess if you weren't going to use the power of government to do a wet, dry thing, uh, and if I was a, a, a homeowner there, I guess I would band together and sue the bar for damages caused to our property, documenting that the damages they're creating, because it is hard to claim because they have their property rights. But when you start affecting other people's property, you get issues regardless of where you fall on it. And, and I can see arguments on either side about whether it was right or not to do this. I can tell you for a fact um, that this dealt with uh, the nuisance being caused by the business, the trash, the, the parking, the noise, uh, the crime, the violence, right? The, the burning out, the doing burnouts and stuff as you pull out, you know, that's what it was being caused by, not by what the business owner said. And, and I'm quoting here, the business owner said, that they were targeted by the community because they are a predominantly minority-owned, minority-supported business. There's nothing they can tell me differently because it's evident due to the amount of things that have happened at predominantly white establishments and how there hasn't been this consequence. So, of course, the owner of the bar says that they are not being put out of business because he couldn't control his patient, the, his patrons. Uh, they're not being put out of business because uh, they didn't properly have enough parking and everything else. They couldn't. They they were affecting their neighborhood. They he's he's not even arguing property rights. He's saying he's being put out of business or pushed out of that area because of racism. It's been racism that's pushed him out. These people are nothing but a bunch of now dog dog dirty racists. As if these people in the community were being woken up at night by people peeling out. They were unable to get into their driveways or leaves because people are blocking it. They're cleaning up trash. And they're like, well, let me see. Oh, I got up. I heard screeching. Run to the window. You look out and say, oh, are, what are, the, are those white kids at 3 a.m. doing burnouts up and down our street? 
Are those white kids bumping their music in the middle of the night as they leave the, the bar? Are, um, is that a white kid throwing their trash in my front yard? Well, that will make it all okay as long as it's a white kid. You know, if they're not white, I'm going to take big issue with it. But, you know, if it, it, you know, if they're white, though, and they're making it completely unlivable for me in this community, I'll put up with it. As if that's what the people of the community actually thought. That's not what they thought. I guarantee you. They don't care white or black or yellow, brown. They don't care. As long as you're causing a disturbance to their ability to live in that quiet neighborhood, they're going to complain about it. They don't care. And he says, well, you know, white establishments didn't have this kind of backlash. First off, you're the literally the only bar in that area. So you have no idea how that community would respond to a white business owner. And second, where are you at? If you're downtown, if you're amongst all these other bars, you're having these peel outs, you're having everything else, that's to be expected. But this bar, it just moved into the area, I believe within the last year. You came to their neighborhood and now you brought a, a, a unruly crowd with you that is causing this disturbance to the rest of the neighborhood and issues. And now you're yelling at them because they're racist and they don't want you there. Well, they don't want you there. Nothing to do with your skin color, but to do with the behavior of your patrons. And if you want patrons to behave that way, take it downtown. But it's not just him saying it. Councilman of the area, Councilman Arthur, there on the Louisville Metro Council, he also says it was clearly due to racism. He says, do I still feel like there are racial undertones? Absolutely. It's the United States of America. There's always going to be racial undertones. Arthur, it had nothing to do with racial undertones. I don't know any of people who live in that neighborhood. I can tell you right now, race had nothing to do with it. It had everything to do with the fact that they couldn't <laughs> live their lives at night. They were having all kinds of noise, everything else. I, you know, I, We all see how these bars that are open late with the nightlife type, we all see what kind of noises they produce. Imagine that being plopped down your neighborhood. You wouldn't be happy either. Was it right for them to specifically put them out of business using the power of government? Not necessarily, no. I think perhaps, like I said, lawsuits uh, would have been better. So that way a judge could have ruled on whether or not they're violating the citizen's property rights. But regardless of any of that, I can tell you this much. Blaming it on racism means the problems uh, will never be fixed. Well, y'all, that's what we got time for today on the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. I thank you all so, so much for joining us. You guys have a great weekend. We're going to see you back here Monday at 9 a.m. Have a great rest of your day.